To another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast, Free Thinkers. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. Our guest this week is Gavin Nasiamento. Gavin is a longtime truth teller, a brilliant researcher. He's also an author and dedicated activist. Now, full disclosure here Gavin is a close friend of mine and one of my favorite people in the truth movement. He is also a past and current contributor to the Free Thought Project. And recently, Matt and I came to the conclusion that we really wanted to do an episode about some of the people, families, and organizations pulling the strings behind the scenes. And we really couldn't think of a better historical researcher than Gavin to help us accomplish that goal. So buckle up, brace yourselves, and definitely take notes. This one's going to blow your mind. So welcome back to the podcast, Gavin. The last time you joined us was April 2021, and when we talked about psychological warfare, social engineering, and COVID. And we're back today to talk about something similar, but instead of pointing the finger vaguely at shadowy figures as they, as we always you know, say they, we decided we should talk about exactly who they are. And in my opinion, uh, there aren't many others in the truth freedom movement who are as well historically educated about influential families and organizations that run the world. So today should be a lot of fun, or at least as much fun as it can be, talking about nefarious power consolidation and predatory wealth accumulation. Um, But maybe we could just jump right into talking about it and start with one of the most talked about organizations right now, which is the World Economic Forum. Sure. So that's a, that's a good place to start. And thank you for the very kind introduction, my brother. Much appreciated, especially coming from you. Uh, yes, yeah, so the World Economic Forum, um, as you can imagine, it has its roots in organizations and personalities that precede it. So obviously, if you're talking about the World Economic Forum, the first character that comes to mind is the, the Dr. Evil villain, Klaus Schwab, <laughs> right? Uh, to understand this dude, you have to actually look at his education. I mean, really, to understand anybody, that's a good place to to look first, is what shaped their perceptions. And where that actually uh, takes us to is Harvard University, uh, most notably, where he was under the, uh, the tutorship and who he named later as a mentor of the infamous Henry Kissinger, uh, a CFR member a Rockefeller protege, I mean, he's just, you don't have to know much to know that he's a bad dude, right? So while he was at Harvard University, he was going to a, uh, he was going through a course on public administration, which is just an academic term for controlling society. <laughs> and uh, he was under Henry Kissinger during this time. And then years later, it came out that Kissinger's course was actually being 
uh, financed as well by the Central Intelligence Agency. So to, to appreciate his perception of the world, which is very much an echo of a much older establishment, because people tend to think like this is the premier organization in uh, the globalist agenda, and it's not. You know, For deception, they, their chosen vehicle is always the most shadowy and clandestine one. So whenever there's something loud, I'm reminded of the film American Gangster, where he says the loudest one in the room is the weakest one in the room. It's just like a magician, you know, you're looking at this hand, but these other hands are doing, yeah, uh, doing something on that, on that side. So to, to understand the agenda of that, as a researcher, the next logical step is that we have to turn towards, okay, well, who is Henry Kissinger? What has he done in terms of uh, establishment politics and how has he shaped the world? And then also you have to dig deeper and say, well, who shaped Henry Kissinger's perspectives? Who influenced him? So Henry Kissinger, he got into politics um, more as like a, a brain kind of a guy. He, he's been a thinker. When you think of somebody that shapes uh, political policies and stuff, you think of Henry Kissinger. He's influenced many different administrations. The last time I checked this dude, he's also he's still alive. And he's somebody that reaches into different worlds. So he's also a close friend of, of Vladimir Putin, which we can get into because at the highest levels, it's them against us. They're not against one another. And there's a lot of overwhelming evidence that can corroborate that, that fact, not somebody that just makes baseless claims. But Henry Kissinger was actually introduced into the world of politics through Nelson Rockefeller, who he actually, at his eulogy, at his funeral, he referred to Nelson Rockefeller as my brother, my friend, and my guide. He had a great deal of respect and he revered Nelson Rockefeller. So then, obviously, you have to take a look at Nelson Rockefeller. And he's been very close with the Rockefeller family in general. And when we get to the Rockefeller family, that's when we get to the, the roots, the spider in the middle of that spider web. And I'm not uh, suggesting that it doesn't go deeper because it always goes deeper. But once we get to the Rockefeller family, first of all, Nelson Rockefeller, who, okay, who's this dude? Well, he was somebody that was instrumental. He's a pioneer in propaganda. Um, he actually was somebody that... In the past, propaganda was considered, I mean, considered just a, a regular word. It wasn't, it didn't have a, a bad connotation to it. That's why, for example, Edward Bernays, he published the book Propaganda. It wasn't considered a bad word back then. It was, it was synonymous with public relations. And, uh, and eventually it started to get a bad association with it because uh, what happened in Nazi Germany, which this all is tied to Nazi Germany and the Nazi ideology as well, which we'll hopefully get into. So then the Rockefeller family, namely Nelson Rockefeller, they got a bunch of experts together and then they decided, okay, well, what we're going to do is through a blitz of a propaganda campaign, we are going to change this term to public relations. And they successfully did that. Also, before the Central Intelligence Agency came about, which was through the National Security Act in 1947, Nelson Rockefeller actually oversaw what was the first organization involved, official organization involved in clandestine operations overseas in South America. It was something known as the, uh, he was the coordinator of the Inter-America Affairs Department. So the CIAA, that's an easy way to remember that. And this was in the early stages of World War, very early stages before the US actually entered. And while he was there, he worked closely with uh, the British MI6. He also worked with Nazis. And he also, um, eventually, when World War II started to kick off, he gave the MI6 cover 
uh, in the Rockefeller building. Um, and it's so interesting because the Rockefeller building was this hub of intelligence. The FBI was also located in there. Alan Dulles, the future director of the Central Intelligence Agency, was also located in there. And then there was a guy who was actually working very closely with the Nazis that were selling him oil. They're all working in the Rockefeller Center. So he was like at the hub. He was in the center of, uh, of clandestine operations. He understood it very well. Also, he was at one time um, Dwight D. Eisenhower's personal assistant on, uh, or special assistant, excuse me, on um, psychological warfare operations and also on, uh, on uh, a specialist on communist Russia, the Soviet Union, which he actually had investments with and he was playing both sides of the fence with that. So during his time, it was very short, but in that position, he actually oversaw clandestine activities because he had an office role where he was the special representative of the president and he would sign off or approve on uh, COVID operations uh, carried out through the CIA. He had a role uh, in the National Security Committee, excuse me. And um, through this, in his very short time in office, which was accompanied with the Dulles brothers, the Dulles brothers, for those who are not aware, also big time players, powerful family historically, they were also very close to the Rockefeller family. They were actually uh, friends of the Rockefeller family. And at the time, they both were sitting on the Rockefeller Foundation. They were all in the administration of Dwight D. Eisenhower at the same time. During that short stint, that's when Mohammed Mossadegh uh, was infamously overthrown in Iran, which was the, the first and only democratically elected government in Iran. And this just so happened to benefit Rockefeller Standard Oil, which got oil concessions after that. And then also they uh, overthrew the government, the democratically elected government in, uh, in Guatemala. And this uh, benefited United Fruit, which both the Dulles brothers and the Rockefeller family through the Rockefeller Foundation had uh, at huge shares. And I have all, uh, you know, the, that article that I've been working on for so long, Matt, everything is published in there, all the documents, and I've archived every single link. That's why it's been taking me so long to authenticate and, and verify what I'm telling you. So, so with that said, that gives you an idea of who Nelson Rockefeller is. And also, this is so important. When he, he also had a role, he was actually the first undersecretary of an organization or department known as the Health, Education and Welfare Department. It was like, it was back then it was in charge of the FDA and the National Institutes of Health. It was a, an important organization. During this time, he allowed the National Institutes of Mental Health to be used as a conduit for MK Ultra. So they actually used it. Um, to experiment on, uh, there was a place in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky for drug addicts where they did these crazy experiments on one dude in particular. They gave him LSD for 77 days straight, multiple hits every single day. And then they would like monitor the progress and stuff that was done through uh, Dr. Harris Isabel, I believe. So that, that gives you an idea of who Nelson Rockefeller is. But the Rockefeller family as a, as a broader concept their history is so imperative to understand, to recognize how we got to where we are today globally in this world. And, and what we can do is we can enter into that uh, topic. I just wanted to take a, a breather and stop for a moment and ask you guys if you have any questions about what I mentioned so far. Yeah, well, um, I, I was wondering if you had mentioned there was some overlap with the Nazis there. And uh, is that like during the whole Operation Paperclip 
thing or is no, that proceeding proceeding okay yeah so yeah. this is it should get this is where it gets crazy okay <sighs> this is so nice when you start to dig into this and you know i've i've been researching obsessively for like the past 15 years every day just and you guys know how it is it's a way of life and you just you you're constantly researching but even during that time i had no idea i mean you have a vague idea but what I've become aware of more recently in relation to Nazi Germany and the Anglo-American establishment in particular is shocking. I mean, it is mind blowing because, and I'm not exaggerating at all, Nazi Germany would never have ever come to power had it not been for the Anglo-American establishment. Now, this specifically and most prominently was done with the Rockefeller family support and the Council on Foreign Relations, which is an extremely important organization to understand. If you want, if you want to recognize how world government uh, has become what it is, like a lot of people, you know, they they warn about world government. Oh, you know, we need to fight against the potential of world government. We are living in a in a society that is already enveloped in world government, and that was encapsulated, pro just so clearly with the so-called pandemic, because what happened? Governments around the world in eerie uniformity yeah. all adopted these pseudoscientific lockdowns, which I have written of extensively. The study that justified the lockdowns was not even published in the science journal or peer reviewed. It's, it's, it's a joke. It was based on theoretical mathematical modeling. And when you, we all saw what happened, I mean, it was just bizarre. And it didn't matter if it was a communist regime, if it was a capitalist regime, if it was a socialist regime, they all jumped on the same bandwagon. And then the World Health Organization gives a recommendation and everybody adopts it. So to understand how that came about, how organizations like the WHO, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, um, the Central Intelligence Agency, all of them, how they came into being, which was just in the wake of World War II, you have to understand the Council on Foreign Relations and what they did during World War II and also the Rockefeller family. So let, we'll start with the Rockefeller family and then we'll get into the CFR. It's just really interesting that you said that this kind of all surrounds the Rockefeller family, because at least back in like 2016, 2017, 2018, there was a big focus on the Rothschilds family. In your research, though, it's more the Rockefeller. That's kind of the, the ground basis for this. Yes. So th this is what I'll say about that. Okay. The Rothschild family were pioneers in a particular generation and era. That's really, they are the fathers of modern central banking. They pioneered that field. Mm, okay. okay. That, that, that's it straight up. Uh, the Rockefeller family are pioneers in multiple fields. They are pioneers in propaganda. They are pioneers in the field of social science. They are pioneers in the medical field. They are pioneers in biowarfare. They are pioneers in, uh, in GMO uh, technology. You know, GMOs wouldn't be possible without Rockefeller scientists that were involved in it. They, they were pioneers. Like the, the World Health Organization was, was preceded by organizations that the Rockefellers controlled. They were involved in international health about 50, 60 years before the World Health Organization even came around. They, they are a pioneering family in so many ways that it's, it's actually, it's, it's mind blowing how productive they are in that sense. And, and it's so significant as well that you mentioned that because also for myself, there's kind of this thing, right? When you start to tumble down this proverbial rabbit hole or ascend up Plato's proverbial cave, 
then you, you start to, the first thing you rub up against, you don't even have to know much about politics at all or clandestine shadow government to know who the Rockefeller family is, right? But as you start to go a bit deeper, th their role gets trivialized. And it's like, oh, the Rockefellers, they, you know, they, they actually aren't that significant. Yeah, you know, they were cutthroat capitalists. But the reality is their ideology goes way deeper than making money. They are eugenicists and they are social engineers above and beyond all else. MK Ultra, for example, that, that research, that unethical research that took place there, they had a key role in that. And long before that unethical research was taking place, they were involved in unethical experimentation. They also joined forces in 2012, if I'm correct. They uh, Rockefeller um, the Financial Rothschild. Services uh, merged with the, Rock of, uh, the Rothschild Investment uh, Firm. And yes. So, so Matt also raises a very good point there. And uh, it's so key that I mention this. These powerful families are also very, very closely related and interconnected. They, they marry into one another. If I'm not mistaken, the Rockefeller family and the Rothschild family may actually be married into one another. And that's more of an educated guess because I know how they operate. You know, the, the Rothschild family, for example, related to the Schiff family, related to the Warburg family. Uh, and they have the, these connections within their family because um, it preserves an occult level of knowledge. A lot of time people kind of joke about it like it's inbred, but really what these people possess is occult knowledge that is very, very rare. That, that's the difference between them and, and us, is that basically, or, or us and them, is basically that they have this occult knowledge and then they weaponize that knowledge to exploit and control people. And when they can concentrate it, let's say you marry into another prominent banking family or a family involved in clandestine intelligence or whatever it may be, you amplify that knowledge and you continue to hoard it and conceal it for yourself. What we do, the business of what we are in, is we take that knowledge and we find out how can we empower a society with this and how can we fight back? That's a good point, man. <laughs> what, uh, like, just give an example of what some of this occult knowledge is. I know that Mark Passio has uh, studied this, you know, very far in depth. Right. But, like, uh, give, okay, like, yeah, All right. So, so let me be clear on that. Sorry, man. I'm using this word occult, and I and I realize a lot of people associated with like this shadowy, demonic Satanism. Occult mm -hmm. knowledge is more just something that's that's kind of, it's it's in the minority. It's very rarely known. So just a couple decades back, for example, introductory propaganda was considered occult knowledge. You know what Edward Bernays was doing? He was using occult knowledge. So when I say occult knowledge, I just mean they have such a totally different perception of how society works where they know, for example, if you want to control a nation, and we're talking about the Rothschilds now, uh, then you get that nation in debt, right? And then we can create like a, a smoke screen where you have the government and people think they're really in power and this president that's there for four years or eight years, if he's lucky, if he's a good boy and he's doing a, a good job, you know, the manager of Burger King, good job there, then he can keep his role for a little bit longer. So in that way, they have an occult level of knowledge where we are just now as a, 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 a society in its totality, we are just now becoming aware of that stuff. Um, in, in terms of like the, the more shadowy occult kind of information, I definitely know for sure that they are involved in some really strange things. We, I think we've all seen the, the legitimate footage of the Bohemian, the ritual that Bohemian Grove or also with Skull and Bones, how they do their death killing ritual. So you know that there's something very strange that these people are, are into. But I, I, I try to go with that, 
the the stuff that has got more mountainous evidence sure. because if you're at the stage where you can entertain that then you aren't much of a threat to society unfortunately the biggest threat to society which was encapsulated brilliantly in nazi germany um are the people that are the most asleep that are the most unconscious that are the most unaware of how occult knowledge is being used not just weaponized against them but how occult knowledge is weaponizing them against good decent people so earlier in the conversation we talked about the wef the world economic forum and klaus schwab and you had mentioned that maybe it's kind of like a sleight of hand why do you feel like there's so many people specifically focused right now on the wef and it's kind of become almost uh, a meme in itself you know as far as it being so influential <laughs> And uh, obviously, like, you know, Klaus Schwab has this really deep accent. And he says some off the wall stuff. Of course, Look, he's WF. also got a Nazi past. That, guy, that dude's also, believe it or not, he's, his dad was actually involved in a company called Escher Weiss AG, if I recall correctly. Might be misremembering that a little bit. But they, were, they supplied uh, the Nazi Germans with uh, 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 technologies that were instrumental to their military war effort. And, and we, we, I don't want to get too sidetracked because we should come back as well to the seminal influence of the Rockefeller family and the CFR oh, yeah. Yeah. on Hitler Germany. So I yeah, just keep that in the, on the back and put it on a shelf. Um, we, we must definitely get back to that. It's such a fascinating topic, honestly. I mean, we can now, in fact, um, I was going to say, you know, back in 2017, which five years ago now, the Free Thought Project's Claire Burnesh, rest in peace, she covered an article which was uh, titled Five Families That Rule the World. And uh, nice. that article blew up for us. And that's kind of what sparked this. You know, we were talking about world government and some of these influential families. And I was like, oh, man, we really need to just kind of go down the list and talk about all the different organizations, all the different families and stuff. And I'm sure there's some that we're going to miss, of course. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, so uh, there um, is <laughs> the overlord. I mean, I mean, yeah. even, you know, he, the World Economic Forum is so loud in what they do. You know, like yeah. you will have nothing and you will be happy. That's so corny, brother. You know what I mean? It's so, and then look how this dude is dressed. And like, he wears a spacesuit. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, he, he's like the Justin Bieber of the globalist establishment. He, he's acting, he's performing, everybody's looking at him, but somebody else is writing the lyrics. Right, right. Now look at gotcha. this dude. I mean, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you with that photo, scene. Jason. I was just, I was trying to bring that up so we could uh, have, you know, we could look at these people as we talk about them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's it's absurd, man. I mean, he's he looks like he's uh, Emperor Palpatine, you know, from Star Wars. Or something. And then whatever this shit is, you know, the 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 ram with the cross on its head and the, you know, I, I'm right. I, it, it's so overt. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the whole that's the whole thing. It's very overt. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit too loud. Uh, and sure. now that you say that, it just it it makes it seem like that. Like this is like they're, oh, it's so loud, they're like brother. let's put this guy out here. And I mean, he does like he does have ties to Nazi uh, Germany. I, I've read that. Oh, look, he, he's a legit problem. Don't get me wrong; he's a legit problem. But there are much more powerful establishment forces that sit behind him that have influenced him, and that are much older as well. And and if people start to dig into that history, and that history is actually slowly starting to emerge, but as people dig into that history, which goes to eugenics which itself they have been distorting and they make it about, oh, it's white supremacy, which it's a lot more complicated than that because they wanted to kill most white people too or, or, or you know, pacify them, excuse me. Uh, and when people go down that rabbit hole, it doesn't matter if you are left or right or whatever you consider yourself to be. At that point, you cannot defend 
these people anymore. It's impossible. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I guess the point I was trying to make is there's like several other families that are, are also involved, the Morgans, uh, the DuPont yep. and the Bushes. So I'm hoping that maybe we could get into those at some point. I know we're going to head, you know, circle back just really quick. I guess that might explain why we see the WEF covered so much by the legacy media, by corporate media is because like we're, we're constantly seeing articles pop up and we know, you know, just from doing this type of work, whenever they don't want us to hear about something, they'll never mention it. You know, if they're not trying to place any attention on it, it, it it's very rarely if ever mentioned. So that might actually kind of corroborate your point there is that, you know, there, this could be just a front group in a sense. They, if you they all front groups, my brother, you know, I, I still actually maintain the belief that given my insight, which, you know, it's, it's been a, a journey climbing mountain and it's given me a, very perspicacious view of what's taking place. But I still don't think that I know the true inner core. I don't think anybody really knows. I haven't run, uh, come across anybody that's been able to provide concrete, convincing evidence of who really is the inner circle of what we consider the power structure. Like I said, it's all interconnected, man. It's a huge, huge spider web. And it's, it's actually quite daunting and overwhelming when you sit down and you're going through all of this information. It's just, it's, it's so profound. It's, it's, it's very difficult to digest at times. But yeah, circling back to the Rockefeller family, um, would you, do you want to start going back to like the early 20th century? Or do you want to start with the, the whole thing with uh, Nazi Germany? That might be a good place to start because it's such a mountainous topic. We may have just enough time to, to get into that. And then from there, it goes into uh, the Nazi German tires and, and how world government has been created, which is such an important topic and, and so on. Whatever you feel is the most valuable to our audience and uh, give them the biggest <laughs> picture. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, let, let's, let's go with that. Okay. We'll, we'll go with that for now because it helps people understand the globalist establishment that's, that's dominating society today. And it gives it some very much needed insight about a lot of the organizations that are also at the forefront of things today. So the world health organization, uh, the Gates Foundation, Planned Parenthood, even <laughs> who there's a lot of ridiculous stuff surrounding, but legitimately they have been used for clandestine activities. Mm. So going back to World War II, right? <clears throat> Actually, let's let's start a little bit before World War II with eugenics. We're talking about eugenics quite a bit. So to give people an introductory understanding about it, eugenics is an elitist ideology, right? When they call it a racist ideology it convolutes people's perceptions and they automatically think it was about white supremacy. Mm. That is distorted because a lot of the people, thousands of people that they sterilized against their will were white people. So the ideology, which was very academically motivated, which is to say the most prestigious doctors, scientists, and so on and so forth were behind this movement. Um, the founder, in fact, his name was Sir Francis Galton. He was the cousin and close friend because if you go on wikipedia they say oh he's his second cousin and that's all they say to make it kind of sound like oh you know they weren't close he was very he was very close to this dude he quoted him extensively the father of eugenics was uh, sir francis galton the cousin of uh, charles darwin and charles darwin's son was also a huge eugenicist who actually advocated spiking the water supply <laughs> to control the population and anyways there's a lot of diversity in what eugenicists believe but they are unified that population control is paramount and they need to find a way to sterilize the overwhelming majority of society including white people and then these elitists they should be free to enjoy life and have children and the finer things of society and i'm not exaggerating that is literally what these people believe it is 
it is far more dangerous than white supremacy because a lot of racists, right? They have these crazy, ridiculous views of the world, but that's it. They're just racist. These people are actively trying to sterilize the population. And I know how insane that sounds. It sounds absolutely crazy and bonkers because it is crazy and bonkers, but the evidence is, it's inescapable. In fact, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Ford Foundation just last year, both of them acknowledged their, their history very partially, very skillfully, but they acknowledged their history and connection to the eugenics establishment. And Planned Parenthood also acknowledged uh, Margaret Sanger's connections to eugenics, but it goes way deeper than Margaret Sanger within that organization. So now the, the, the reason why I mentioned that is because first eugenics started, the movement started with Sir Francis Galton in England. Then it was transported to the United States where the most powerful people such as J.P. Morgan, such as John D. Rockefeller, specifically Jr., and uh, Andrew Carnegie, they jumped on this. They began to finance huge amounts of, of research through the, sci the science establishment. And I mean, prestigious scientists were involved in this from every facet of, uh, of the field that you can just about think of. From there, and this is where it starts to get really crazy, it got transported to Germany. This is what a lot of people don't know. Nazi Germany was directly inspired by what they saw taking place in the United States. So to give you some perspective and some context, it was a guy by the name of Madison Grant. Madison Grant, he got large amounts of funding from, uh, from the Rockefeller family, specifically John D. Rockefeller II. They actually wrote him a personal check. They even gave him a commemoration, which John D. Rockefeller helped sponsor. They recently took it down. It was in uh, uh, the Redwood Park in California. Madison Grant was considered one of the main authorities on eugenics. And he wrote a book called The Passing of the Great Race. And he specifically focused on what's known as the Nordic race. And he believed this was a superior race. It should rule the world. But it's basically being polluted by inferior stocks of different people. And again, this included white people. You know, it's important to, to mention that so people can find a sense of solidarity and unity against the common enemy. Like in the Hunger Games, I love that, that saying, remember who the real enemy is. The proverb there is so powerful. So anyways, Madison Grant wrote this book, The Passing of the Great Race. And Hitler was so inspired by this book that he came to call it my Bible. That's how inspired he was by it. And before Hitler even came to power, and this is just so shocking, when you're not aware of it, it was in, I think, 1931, 1932, a majority of states in the U.S., they had laws enforcing sterilization. The establishment could enforce sterilization on people they deemed to be unfit. And this culminated in 70,000 people being forcefully sterilized. Anyways, go ahead, brother. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Eugenics is a terrible black stain on American history, man. And I was just like, so people, you know, can get a grab. It hasn't gone away, doesn't No, I, away, right. Like, so we just saw just recently uh, Jane Goodall at, at a, I think it was a <laughs> WEF talk, talking about how, you know, the humanity be better off if we reduce the population back to what it was 500 years ago. You know, that's talking about like culling 7 billion people or more. And we had the, the recently uh, destroyed Georgia Guidestones, which actually said that, you know, that these, uh, they wanted, to, they advocated for keeping the Earth's population under 500,000 people. So like it's there, this is in plain sight. It's not like the, like 
they're hiding it or anything like that. You know, these people openly advocate for these things, you know, to go on and say that, you know, we need to return to the Earth's population to what it was 500 years ago is advocating for the death of billions of people. And and then that's what these people discuss in these circles. And it sounds fucking insane. But yes, you're right, man. That That's exactly what they're that what they're doing. My brother, wait until you read that publication I put together, because back in the day, uh, particularly in the 60s and 70s, I went through scientific publications, peer-reviewed journals, specifically science, which was actually a eugenics journal. It started as a eugenics journal. <coughs> Excuse me. In their peer-reviewed publications, they openly deliberate about putting sterilants in the water supply. One dude, his name's Carl Gerasi, they, they consider him the founder of the contraceptive pill. And I want to be very clear here, guys. For me, I, I don't, I'm not on the left or the right of the debate about, um, about uh, ab- abortion. I think there are extraordinary cases where, let's say, a woman gets raped. I think, yes, then she should have a right to choose if she wants to have a baby or not. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. So it's, it's not about that for me. It's about the truth. What is the objective reality and truth? And Carl Gerasi, in a publication in 1969 entitled Birth Control After 1984, this dude literally spoke. He makes it seem like, oh, he's just deliberating about different possibilities, you know. But he goes into such eerie detail uh, about weaponizing an insecticide for population control that you know what the dude's talking about. You know, uh, there was another infamous memo memo called the Jaffe Memo, and this is a legitimate document. I actually learned about it uh, through a publication, the Guttmacher Institute, which was named after the second president of uh, Planned Parenthood named Alan F. Guttmacher. Guess who Alan F. Guttmacher was? This dude was the former vice president of the American Eugenics Society, and then he becomes the president of, uh, of Planned Parenthood. In this publication, and sorry, I don't mean to just throw so much information that just makes people's head spin. But in this publication, there was something known as the Jaffe Memo, which was Frederick Jaffe, then Vice President of Planned Parenthood, to Bernal Berylson uh, at the Population Council, which was founded by John D. Rockefeller III and half a dozen members of the American Eugenics Society. And uh, I know it's, it's just so much. But in this publication or in, in this memo that he sends to Bernard Berylson, uh, what Jaffe uh, recommends, what he de- deliberates on, because again, they don't outright recommend it, but they talk about different proposals and possibilities, is one, putting sterilants in the water supply, two, promoting homosexuality. And listen, I want to make it very clear. I have several very good friends of mine, including a family relative that are homosexual or bisexual. Cool as fuck. So I don't care if that's your uh, your proclivity, but there's a problem when people have got an active policy that they may be pursuing to promote this. And then the other one was to uh, get women to work. And again, if you want to choose a career, that's cool. We have that right because we are human beings. But when people start to coerce your choices to where you are on an unconscious program and you don't even realize it, there's a problem with that. So with eugenics, uh, Hitler was inspired by what he saw taking place in the United States. Like I said, the US already had in a majority of states laws that could forcefully sterilize people. And there were a lot of proponents of this. From presidents to the richest people in the country, Theodore Roosevelt, he was a famous eugenicist. Eva Woodrow Wilson, he was a famous eugenicist. Um, there was actually a case uh, against a uh, poor girl, Carrie Buck. She was a little white girl. And she, I mean, you know, there's a bit of speculation about it, but it, it sounded like she was ra- uh, raped, excuse me, by a by a wealthy, the 
the nephew of a wealthy family. And so what they said was, no, she's feeble-minded. That was their scientific prognosis. She's feeble-minded. And so she's a problem. She needs to be sterilized. They literally sterilized this girl. They took away her baby. And then from this ruling, they were, in turn, they went ahead and they successfully sterilized about 70,000 people. That's a conservative estimate in the United States against their will. And uh, when people start to look into this, it becomes shocking how ubiquitous the evidence for this is. And the reason why it's shocking is because although if you, you look for it, you can actually find it, including in mainstream publications, especially in more recent history, it's shocking, especially for people from our generation, because I never heard anything about this at school. And when you hear about eugenics or when you when you hear about um, like cruel, horrible things, you think about what happened in Nazi Germany. And then we are told that Hitler's the, the greatest evil of all. And Nazi Germany was the most evil one time isolated incident. But the reality is he was just a student. And then to expand on on my whole perspective that Hitler was just a student. <coughs> excuse me. So got a bit of a cough lingering. Um, after World War One, Germany went into a really bad recession. Okay, it was a depression, an unprecedented depression in the world. And at that time, the scientific establishment was hurting for funding. So who comes along? The Rockefeller Foundation. Now, I've looked very close into the academic publications regarding this from authorities that are not considered controversial. And again, all of this is going to be published in that blog. It's very lengthy, so I'll, I'll leave it to you, Matt, on how to regulate that if you want to I do it. I can't wait, man. Oh, it's, oh, it's, it's crazy, brother. It's so crazy. But it puts everything together. And anyways, I, I've got two academics that are highly respected, highly revered, and I've got quotes from them where they basically say, that the eugenics research in Nazi Germany would never have been able to take place without the Rockefeller Foundation's patronage, without their financial support. One of the key institutions that we know about was the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, which today is the Max Planck Institute. The Kaiser Wilhelm Institute was received massive funding from the Rockefeller Foundation, and had they not received that funding, they would have gone completely under. There was one guy in particular, his name was Eugene Fisher, who specifically got funding from the Rockefellers whenever he wanted it. Eugene Fischer was another major figure that influenced Hitler. In fact, when Hitler was in jail, he read a book from Eugene Fischer that radicalized him even further. And his science, you know, Dr. Uh, Eugene Fischer, his science was used as the scientific justification to round up millions of people, which weren't just Jews, it was all kinds of different people, to round them up and to execute them. So what happened in Nazi Germany, the ideology that gripped the population over there, that was born in the United States. It was just an extreme um, expression of it over there. Now, where this gets even crazier, it's not just the fact that they planted those seeds, the Rockefeller family and the Rockefeller Foundation in specific. It's the fact that the Rockefeller family and the Council on Foreign Relations, members of the Council on Foreign Relations, they also provided him with the technology, with the financing, that was absolutely essential to waging war. Without this technology, Hitler and Nazi Germany, excuse me, would never have been able to wage war. Okay, so let's give some examples. You know, that's what I'm about. Let's let's name names. Let's give evidence that people can fact check and look up. First and foremost is is Standard Oil. Standard Oil had a relationship with an organization called IG Farben. Okay, IG Farben was at the time the biggest pharmaceutical vaccine company in the world. 
IG Farben was the Nazi establishment. They were interchangeable. So when you hear IG Farben, you need to think of Nazi Germany. And that's why it's so eerie what's going on around the world today with Big Pharma taking place. Um, as you explore deeper, I mean, we'll get to it as we go on. Because Nazi Germany, that whole program was conducted under the auspices of science, of humanitarianism, of you know keeping those sick people away. I heard a Holocaust survivor, for example, in a podcast, she said, that's how it started. It started by saying, oh, you know, the Jews are sick. They need to wear special badges and, and stuff like that. And people, when they yell at it, they're like, oh, that's just ridiculous. And yes, it'll, that will not happen in the extreme form. With social media and public awareness, something like that's not going to happen today, guys. Okay, it's, it's silly to imagine that something on that level will happen. But something covert, absolutely, with the technologies available, that's another thing I go through in the publication, is that there are technologies available today that can absolutely be weaponized without people even knowing it through vaccination and other uh, methodologies to ensure, if not this generation, the subsequent generation can be sterilized and, and many other things. So anyways, going through some of the organizations, Standard Oil and IG Farben, they had a very close working relationship and business relationship would work together and they would trade information. One of the things they did specifically through a subsidiary, Standard Oil subsidiary, and was also uh, partly owned. So the Rockefeller owned it jointly with the DuPont family, was a corporation known as the Ethel Corporation. What they did was they gave IG Farben the information on how to extract a particular fuel substance because there were obviously regulations preventing Nazi Germany from rising militarily. So they helped them, I think it was extract oil from coal or something along those lines. It was, it was basically a revolutionary innovation. And they gave them this information. And later on in, in testimony, an IG Farben executive actually said, had it not been for the expertise provided to us by Standard Oil and the Ethel Corporation, we would never have been able to conduct the war that Hitler wanted to conduct. He literally said that in his testimony. In fact, this was so bad and so unambiguous back then that at the time, uh, Future President Harry S. Truman, he was a senator. He called it treason what had happened. He said what Rockefeller Standard Oil did was treason, but there was a municipal fine. Nothing very serious ever happened because the U.S. government was just as dependent on Standard Oil's uh, fuel as was the German government. And by the way, the Japanese government was as well. You know, in the past, we talk about controlling money. That's how you control conflicts. It's If you can control oil, if you can control these kind of resources, trust me, you can control the conflict. Um, other notable uh, um, organizations as well was Chase Manhattan Bank. Chase Manhattan Bank was, uh, at the time, owned overwhelmingly the shares. It was actually just 5%. And when people hear that, they're like, oh, that's so small. But in terms of shareholding structure, that's, that's a large amount. So they actually had uh, the dominant amount of shares in Chase Bank at this time. Through Chase Bank, they financed Nazi Germany. In fact, even after there was an order to freeze any accounts connected to Nazi Germany, they funneled the funds through South America, which is where Nelson Rockefeller was. He had control through their clandestine network the, uh, as the coordinator of inter-America affairs, and they got it to Nazi Germany. And if you look it up, again, I'm going to have all of this in the publication, uh, supporting this with irrefutable evidence. Chase actually apologized for their role in supporting Nazi Germany. It was a seminal role, major, massive, massive role. Next to that list, because, and at the time, who was actually in charge of uh, Chase Bank was a Rockefeller family member. He was the head. It was Winthrop Aldridge. Winthrop Aldridge is a very interesting character, man. He also sat in the Pilgrim Society. He was also a Council on Foreign Relations member. And after World War II, he had this huge party at his house where the Queen of England came and she danced, like she partied. 
just crazy. It was reported in, in Time magazine. Crazy, right? Um, other organizations, General Motors, that's another one. General Motors provided them with um, absolutely instrumental technologies. Of course, General Motors was controlled by the DuPont family, probably still is controlled to, by the family today. There were also two organizations, I mean, two individuals, one guy, I think his name was James Mooney or James Moody. He was actually personally awarded by Hitler. He was a, a high-ranking executive. He was actually the foreign representative to the Nazi branch, the subsidiary of General Motors over there. He was given a personal award uh, by Hitler. And he was also, he was a CFR member. Sorry. So when I'm talking about this now, these are CFR members. These are CFR connected organizations. The DuPont family was also involved in the CFR. And the Rockefeller family, in the second half of the CFR's history, they have been the primary organization that has controlled the CFR. The first half was the Morgan, the House of Morgan, the Morgan family. Um, also, ITT and IBM. So IBM was, I think his name was Thomas Watson, if I'm not mistaken. He was also awarded by uh, Hitler. They gave him the highest award you could give a non-German for his work and his contribution. Um, and, you know, they provided communications that actually helped to round up uh, the Jews and, and a number of different people. They provided that technology. Another one was, um, what did I say? IBM. That's what I meant to say with IBM. The other one was ITT. ITT was a guy, and I may be butchering his name because I've only been reading it, right? So I haven't actually heard somebody verbally say it. Sosthenes Ben. It's S-O-S-T-H-E-N-E-S-B-E-H-N. This dude actually served in the military. And it's, it's just crazy to look at because they just, they have no allegiance to anything except for elitism. It's the most bizarre thing. And they are ardent believers in elitism and eugenics and social engineering. I mean, they are blinded by that. But he also, he provided the technologies. At the same time, he was providing the technologies for Nazi Germany to kill uh, U.S. troops. He was providing U.S. troops with technologies to defend against those, that, that kind of stuff. And these were all CFR members, okay? That, that's the most important thing to mention here. So why are they doing this, right? I mean, we, we can make the argument, sure, it's just about money and stuff, but at the highest level of this game, they don't need money. So what was this all about? In the wake of World War II, that's when we start to get like a really uh, interesting understanding of, of what's going on. So before we jump to there very quickly, the CFR also played a major role, not just in financing Nazi Germany. And this is where it starts to get very interesting. They had a group known as the War and Peace Studies Group. And this War and Peace Studies Group, which was financed by the Rockefeller Foundation, it was very secretive. A lot of CFR members didn't even know about its existence. But this uh, group, the War and Peace Studies Group, you can go look it up. It's even available. Some of the information is even available on Wikipedia. You know, oh, <laughs> the establishment source. Through this group, they actually advised the U.S. government, the president, on what they should do during World War II. So the CFR members are, yeah, and they're building up Nazi Germany to wage war. And then on the other end, they're advising the government on the actions that they should take. And they were also obviously financing and arming uh, the U.S. government. General Motors was involved as well in arming General Motors, I mean, in arming the, helping the U.S. government. So was Standard Oil. Um so was, like I said, ITT. So they played both sides here. One of the things that they recommended for the U.S. government to do was impose a, um, that trade embargo on Japan, right? What culminated in the attack on Pearl Harbor. Now, before we even go there, I just want to explain that CFR members through something known as the Century Group. It was like a, an elitist group. They mentioned this club called the Century Club. Through that club, they actually uh, had major influence over the U.S. government, and they got the government to actually 
clandestinely on with weapons uh, on the British government 15 months, 15 months, uh, more than a year before Pearl Harbor even took place. But if you look at the, the diaries in the journal of another CFR member, what was this dude's name? Um, Henry Stimson, Henry Stimson. If you look at his diaries and he further reinforced this in, in a Time magazine article, he and the president and the, and the advisors, they basically spoke about how could we coerce Japan into attacking us. He openly spoke about this because he knew public opinion wouldn't accept just, you know, getting involved with World War II because most uh, U.S. citizens were very much vehemently opposed to entering the war. That, that's what people don't realize. The U.S. is grounded in not wanting to get entangled in foreign affairs. So he spoke about this, and then through the Council on Foreign Relations, they recommend this trade embargo, and they also recommended actually arming the Chinese, which were at war with Japan. Historians today recognize the trade embargo because Japan was almost fully dependent on foreign resources, specifically from the United States. Like I said, uh, Standard Oil used to give them their oil resources and many other things that they needed. So by putting a trade embargo on them, that basically cuts off their capability to wage war. By doing this, it, historians recognize today, it's not a controversial fact at all, that this culminated that this encouraged the attack on Pearl Harbor and there is a lot of information that suggests that they knew about it and they allowed it to take place right now hang on hang on we, we, we almost there we got to build up to this there was a guy by the name of E Pendleton Herring very close links to uh, the Rockefeller family and the clandestine establishment he's known as the um, the intellectual architect of the National Security Act of 1947 which is key to understand because this happened in the wake of World War II. And this created the CIA, the Department of Defense, the National Security Council. It, it, it essentially took the U.S. and turned it into a military empire that now has close to 800 military bases around the world. He wrote, and this is crazy, that, you know, th there is an impending attack. It's almost certain from a foreign government it's going to happen unless we start to build up our military. We start to place our military elsewhere. We basically have like an imperial government. This was three months before um, the attack on Pearl Harbor. So when the attack on Pearl Harbor took place, you know, kind of like event 201, a couple months before it takes place, then he sounded like a genius. And then all of his recommendations were adopted and they culminated in the National Security Act of, of 1947. Now, like I said, that particular act created, it took the United States and it turned it from what they called an isolationist country because they didn't want to get involved in foreign entanglements took it from that and turned it into a military empire, right? To where now there are just hundreds and hundreds of foreign military bases, tens of thousands of troops stationed all over the world in different countries doing all kinds of crazy shit. It took that and it warped it into that, which that's a form of global government, guys. Boom, right there. Yeah. In addition to that, in the wake of World War II, the Council on Foreign Relations continued to advise the US government on post-war policy. And if you look through the documents, um, they Part of their post-war policy was to basically create the International Monetary Fund, to create the World Bank, to create the World Health Organization, hmm. to create um, the United Nations, the CFR. Yes, they were the key influences in creating those organizations in the wake of World War II. Hmm. And all of this is starting to slowly emerge now, but that's how significant they are. That is a globalist organization and world government in the wake of World War II was was right then and there, boom, it was born and people didn't even realize it.
It, it seems like it's much of a catalyst moment as 9-11 in many ways. It's just we didn't have a way to acknowledge it or talk about it or... Yes, because people don't give us the historical context. And that's such a good point because what has happened now with this COVID shit, that's a new era. They do this mm. every now and then. So, for example, um, that was the first thing, right? In, in the wake of um, World War II, or they used Nazi Germany as the catalyst to create this global government and establishment because the excuse was we can't let something like Nazi Germany happen again, right? So we, we need more power. Give us more control. Give us, you know, we've got to protect ourselves. So they create this unprecedented world government, which in turn exploits everybody and makes the ruling class all the more powerful. In the wake of that, the next thing that they did was the Cold War, the so-called war on communism. And once again, they did the exact same thing. In that publication, Matt, all the information about this is also there. And who played a seminal influence on empowering and building up the Soviet government, the communist government? The Rockefeller family and the CFR. And then they used the Cold War and the threat of communist Russia and the Soviet Union, which Professor Anthony Sutton documents brilliantly. He's the, the primary authority on that. Um, he's a bit controversial because his research is so good, but anybody that's looked into it knows it's airtight. But for those who want an establishment source, he's a guy by the name of... Um, Richard Pipes, I think it was, he was a Harvard historian. He was actually, he advised the Central Intelligence Agency. He further echoed Professor Anthony Sutton's research. And Zbigniew Brzezinski, the former National Security Advisor, in his book, um, Between Two Ages, I believe it was, he actually quotes um, the research of Professor Anthony Sutton as being, you know, exceptional and good research concerning how the communist Russia was built up by the U.S. Uh, establishment. So through doing this, then they start justifying all other kinds of programs. Remember, for example, when I said they overthrew Mohammed Mossadegh, the democratically elected leader in Iran, and how they also overthrew the democratically elected leader Jacobo Arbenz in um, Guatemala. What was the excuse for that? Oh, they, they've got communist ties. They're communists. Later, that was proved to be unfounded. But that hysteria, it allows them to aggregate the people, to weaponize them. And, oh, boom, now we can go overthrow them and it's going to benefit the ruling class. So they did the same thing with the Cold War. And one of those programs was MKUltra. They said, oh, you know, if you look at the documentation, oh, we're doing this because we were scared that the Soviets were doing it. And now we know in hindsight, this is, there was nonsense. Once again, it was bad intelligence, <laughs> bad intelligence. In hindsight, that's the story. But by saying that, oh, you know, they were scared of the Cold War, this gives them a cover story. And the real intention at the highest level, since obviously the Rockefeller family and the CFR are playing both sides of the field, yeah, um, the, the primary motive is obviously, okay, I'm gonna, I want to get a hold of the best thinkers, the brightest minds to focus on social engineering, to focus on developing drugs that can be used to pacify people. So these people are involved in world government and how? They can control the population. It's not them against this government, against that government. It's the ruling class against us. Yeah, it, it, that, it's, that's true, man. And in 2018, um, Julian Assange, before he was taken prisoner um, and, you know, silenced by uh, but the, in the UK, he actually put out um, this American empire and its media that showed all the, the ties to the American media and the Council on Foreign Relations, which is why so many people are ignorant about all these connections that you know and it's it sounds like some kind of wild shit what you're saying you know like all our listeners but like a lot of people that may not have heard this before they might think like yeah this is crazy and shit you know but like there's there's this this um 
this chart that Wikipedia, I mean Wikipedia, Jesus, WikiLeaks put out <laughs> in 2018 that showed their um, the, the real Wikipedia, the people's right. Wikipedia. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it's everything from Fox News to the New York Times to Washington Post to CNN, and it all it ties back into the pharmaceutical industry, Disney. Like it's it's, it's ubiquitous. And I'm yeah. so glad you actually mentioned that that because um, about 90. Eight percent, I think, of all the directors of the Central Intelligence Agency have also been members of the CFR, and then members of the, the leading banks. You know, I forgot to establish that foundation. Like th this is a organization, guys. That you, you just take a, a bit of a look into it. It's not a, it's not considered controversial even within the establishment. It was maybe ten years ago, but you can find information, mainstream sources now that shows that this is an organization that has had massive influence over not just the U.S. government. But international politics. Yeah. So certainly. I see that the Trilateral Commission is on here. That's one that is on our list, and uh, we haven't actually spoke much about. Is that one that you're familiar with, or what's the? What's I, the I am. Uh, again, guess who was involved in the Trilateral Commission's establishment? The Rockefeller family. <laughs> it was David Rockefeller and Zbigniew Brzezinski. It's basically very, um, very similar in its mandate except it's more um focused on a particular region uh, i think it's on man i think it, it might be on asian relations i can't quite remember now but it, it's like a, a subsidiary of the cfr so the cfr mm -hmm. is concerned with global control it's yeah. that's more regional got it man when you uh when you say you know all this, it, it really just makes me think that we, for years I've heard, you know, bankers are playing both sides of the war, but it's true. Like everything that you're saying, I mean, there's, there's legitimacy, Absolutely legitimacy true, there. And uh, I mean, that alone should be kind of a, a red flag for people, anybody who still kind of believes any type of establishment narrative, I guess. Um, uh, they, they are so incessant with their deception. It's yeah. It's shocking, man. I mean, even for me, who's known about this stuff a long time, you, you guys will see if you, when you get a chance to read the publication, it's quite lengthy. But sure. when you go through it and you see the, the indisputable evidence, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. It's shocking. Now, I did want to just back up a little bit. And you, you mentioned that there was 70, <laughs> nearly 70,000 people sterilized in the U.S., yeah. Um, has there been any follow-up on that? Is there, do we know when that happened, where that happened? Has there been any lawsuits or reparations or anything? Right. So a lot of that, that stuff, yeah. So a lot of that stuff is emerging now. Yeah. Okay. A lot of stuff of that stuff is emerging now, which is why, uh, you may have heard like Planned Parenthood has been quite uh, prominently featured in the news. It's also a very important organization to, to actually address in terms of the clandestine structure and how it became a vehicle for eugenicists. So excuse me, first and foremost, Planned Parenthood was started as the American Birth Control League, <laughs> which sounds like some evil villainous outfit when you become aware of what they were actually doing. It was founded by Margaret Sanger, which we all know about, right? Because originally she was like this hero, but now people are becoming aware that she was a rabid eugenicist. In fact, she, she criticized the eugenics, criticized the eugenics establishment. And Sir Francis Galton, she, she wrote a book that was entitled... I don't, want to, I don't want to deliberate on it too much, but she wrote, I think, in the 1920s, and I also link it in the publication. And in there, the stuff that she says is so insane and, and rabid and hateful. It's crazy. She actually criticized the, um, the eugenics movement for their inaction. 
because she said look like you know you guys are doing this but you're just talking we need to come up with a plan <laughs> no joke we need to come up with a plan of how we can implement these policies so then they started to pursue birth control but she said if we can't get people in no unequ it's unequivocal what she said in no uncertain terms completely unambiguous she said if we can't get people to voluntarily engage in forms of sterilization or population control we'll have to do involuntary population control she actually and i quote said spartan methods and for those who remember the form 300 which is uh, was actually an accurate depiction where they would throw the babies off the thing that gives you some kind of an understanding of what she was talking about and she was it was crazy man you'll, you'll see when you read the publication because i outlined uh, some of the quotes that she mentions and how she considered people feeble-minded and like just human waste. <laughs> I mean, she was she was really she was crazy, man. And so, along with her, what people don't realize is several other eugenicists founded the American Birth Control League, including a prestigious doctor. His name was um, I think it was Dr. Clarence C. Little. Dr. Clarence C. Little was the former president of the American Eugenic Society, and he was a major authority on on cancer research. He was also involved in the founding of the American Birth Control League. And there were some others, but I can't unfortunately remember their names off the top of my head. In about, I think it was 1942, it was the same time when the Nazi German eugenics program began to be exposed in a like, horrific way. The people publicly became outraged. They were like, oh my, this is what eugenics is about. This is crazy. That's when they changed it to Planned Parenthood, the name. Hmm. Now, yeah. So Planned Parenthood's, next president they basically and this is we're going to get into the gates foundation now because like i said it's all connected it's it's <laughs> insane and uh planned parenthood right their next president was a guy by the name of ellen f Goodmarker. uh he, and he was at, he's actually considered by historians to be far more influential than margaret sanger but this dude was a former president of the american eugenic society in fact he was vice president of the american eugenic society at the same time that he was vice president of planned parenthood while he was there um he basically um was the guy that got a, abortion legalized like i said guys i'm not somebody that's black or white about the abortion issue i think there's sure. a lot of gray there and it needs it requires discussion on an individual case-by-case -case basis sure. so I, I'm, I'm not trying to politicize this I'm, I'm trying to make it about objective reality and the truth because politics distorts our perceptions of of that subject and anyways alan f Goodbarker, this dude obviously being the president of the American Eugenics Society, within that organizational organizational structure at, at that time, there was the guy Frederick Jaffe that I mentioned that had that memo that talked about, you know, putting sterilants in the water supply. Also, although he was excellent at public relations and propaganda, uh, Alan F. Goodmarker in a newspaper article that I managed to track down and I did source and cite in the publication as well, he did mention that if we can't get people to do voluntary forms of birth control, we'll have to do involuntary forms of birth control. Now, why is this so significant? Because this was during the 1970s. Now, with that said, there has been a story about uh, how Bill Gates' father was involved with Planned Parenthood. There's been a video that has kind of been making the rounds around the internet. And then the fact checker said, there's, you know, there's no evidence, there's nothing to suggest any eugenics connection there. And that's absolutely nonsense. Because if you listen to the interview, which was conducted by, with Bill Moyers, Bill Moyers is he's a, somebody they love in the establishment. He was involved in the Council on Foreign Relations. And uh, this transcript is actually available on his website. And I've archived it as well. And you can find the video. The, the footage is quite poor, but you can find the video online as well. And he's asked, what inspired your interest in reproductive issues? To which he, re he 
replies, when I was younger, my parents were involved. Oh, no, he says my dad was uh, the head of Planned Parenthood. Now, he must have been talking about a regional basis because Alan Echutmacher at that time was the president. Now, on a regional basis, his dad, he claims, was the head of Planned Parenthood. So this fascinated me when I heard about it because I have some, you know, pretty intense insights about Planned Parenthood. And um, I began to try to inquire about when specifically was he involved with the organization. And you can't find this information online. It's almost, I mean, I haven't been able to find it. You look at all these establishment publications and they acknowledge that, yes, he was involved with Planned Parenthood, but they never give you the dates. So then I worked it out. Well, if Bill Gates, what he says is true in this interview, that he was a child at the time of these conversations, he refers to them as very mature discussions. That means that he was a child. Bill Gates, if I recall correctly now, he was born in 1955. That means that he had to have been involved, his dad, with Planned Parenthood in the late 1960s or during the 1970s. And during that time, Planned Parenthood was very clearly involved in eugenics, undeniably. Where this begins to become far more interesting is the Gates Foundation was initially founded as the William H. Gates Foundation, which was his father's um, um, uh, foundation, excuse me. He found this in cooperation with somebody named Susan Cluett, who was a lifelong member of Planned Parenthood during the same time that William Gates Sr. was involved with Planned Parenthood. The next guy, uh, so and then they eventually go on to found the Gates Foundation. And the other guy that was instrumental, and William Gates Sr., there's actually a transcript from the Gates Foundation's website. He states in a speech that through Susan Cluett, they were introduced to a guy by the name of Dr. Gordon Perkin. Dr. Gordon Perkin, um, was he became their first director of their programs, like the major programs. This dude was involved prior to that with an organization known as the Ford Foundation, which you guys may have obviously heard about. The Ford Foundation has been like this with the CIA throughout, it, throughout its history. And also, they have been instrumental in eugenics. Like I said, um, more recently, I think it was last year, they apologized, went into very little detail about their role, but they apologized about their past links to eugenics. The Ford Foundation and Planned Parenthood during the 60s and 70s, went to India, and I don't know if you guys have heard about this, because it's going to be, it's, it, this is just legit mind-blowing. They went to India, and through financial incentives, uh, through coercing them with food, because they were had a serious food shortage, they got the Indian government in the 1970s to forcefully sterilize millions of Indian civilians. Millions. And I mean, I never knew about this until quite recently. They, they got them to sterilize millions of Indian people. In addition to that, you know about China and China's one child policy? Guess who was instrumental in promoting that ideology and inculcating those ideas in the Chinese establishment? The Ford Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation. So these major events that we have been given these very fragmented perspectives on, come from the same establishment, you know? So, so the Gates Foundation, my point being, and also, I mean, we can get into this as well, where today the Gates Foundation has got, it, it's, it's got several uh, prominent figures from the intelligence community working for them, from DARPA specifically. The one guy was um, a pioneering authority in the creation of the mRNA vaccine technology. Hmm. So it, it's a clandestine vehicle. In fact, 
and you will, this is one of the main focuses I had in that publication, the non-profit, so-called non-profit establishment of philanthropy. That is what we actually think the CIA is. The CIA is a layer. That is a layer behind it. They have been co conducting clandestine activity before the Central Intelligence Agency was even created. And they continue to do it to this day. Wow. <laughs> Crazy, yeah? And, and it goes way deeper. I'm probably forgetting a lot of stuff now, but in the publication, it's very detailed and cogent. Yeah, I, I feel like we're probably just uh, at the tip of the iceberg with some of this stuff. Unfortunately, I'm sure there's it would take like a three hour show to really do a deep dive. And maybe someday we'll get you on Joe Rogan so you could do that. Uh, if I get the <laughs> opportunity, I, you know, I'm going to go wild. Cause Absolutely. Hey, can, you, composure. <laughs> you, can you maybe speak about the article you've referenced several times and maybe right. like what's the title what's it entitled and just kind of maybe just give a little bit more of an explanation when you expect it to so, be done he's writing it for us it's on our yeah. it's on our yeah, yeah. no i know yes, i'm just yes. for our audience yeah. for our audience all right so, so the publication is entitled mk ultra 2.0 beyond the COVID smoke and mirrors and essentially I, I go into so much more guys it actually starts out by revisiting mk ultra because it's it's still being hidden to this day there's so much that we don't know about what what actually happened there and also related projects because there's so many other projects that people have no idea about so when we think of mk ultra right we, we tend to think about a few unlucky individuals that got experimented on the reality is that there have been millions millions of civilians and military personnel not just in the us but in the uk in canada and elsewhere it were experimented on during the 50s and the, and the 60s. And this was with, with harmful bacteria and harmful chemicals. Yes, I know. I'm going to, this is rather, I, all I've been doing while I've been quiet on social media is downloading information so that I can come back with some serious ammo. You know, that's basically what I've been doing. Exactly. Um, before you stand up and speak out, you got to sit down and self-educate. So that's what I decided to do so I can provide something new to the narrative. And anyways, my whole uh, point there is that I firmly believe these guys like Dr. James Giordano, who is kind of talking about a second Cold War and many authorities within the government, excuse me, within the government, who are basically stating there's a second Cold War going on. And the reason why the alarm bells are going off for me is that what was used, that's what was used to justify all these crazy experimentation uh, experiments on the population in the past. So I'm concerned that they actually if they're not doing it right now, which I, I think they are doing it right now, not to scare anybody, but that's what I truly believe. If they're not doing it right now, they are going to be doing it. And the only way that we can stop them is if we raise public awareness. And, and listen, just sorry, one other thing, because I don't want people to be given to fear. Fear is even more productive, in my opinion, than ignorance, right? You get these authorities that are like, oh, I'm going to just slap people with the truth and I'm, I'm helping, right? <laughs> and then. Uh, uh, fear is very counterproductive, guys. We have to be very concerned with our delivery and its and its creative capability, what it's backed by. And I just want to make it clear that I still optimistically and firmly believe, as I also outline in the final segment entitled The uh, Great Reset versus The Great Revolution, that they are actually in a, um, what I would deem a reactionary position. They are, these are not these great evil plans that are just hatching perfectly. Oh, I believe it's hatching prematurely because they can't compete with millions and millions of minds. Yeah. So I just want to get this information out there because as we know, the way the internet works, even a, a, the smallest video, once it is injected into the consciousness of society, it creates a ripple and that wave as it builds up, guess who it comes crashing down on? Boom, this yeah. establishment. 
And actually speaking on that exact topic, um, yeah, I feel like it's very clear that things have sped up. They're rolling out one narrative after another, one agenda after another. The House of Cards is about to fall, whether it be economically or just the illusion of authority. Because, uh, yeah, we have the power of the Internet on our side. And actually, as you were speaking, I wasn't trying to be rude, but I just kind of wanted to see what the CFR was currently up to. And sure enough, here it is right here in front of me, uh, article from July 19th from the CFR entitled, The Internet is Fragmented, What Should the United States Do Now? And the excerpt below that says, the United States should take action in response to frac the fracturing internet. It should seek to create a new cyber coalition, promote and expand digital trade agreements and support cyber development and emerging economies. So, I mean, that right there sounds to me like, I mean, it's my, my, my spidey senses are going off, right? Like this sounds know, like- sure, the, exactly what we've been watching happen for the past three or four years now with the rollout of the censorship of the internet. And this is kind of just interjecting more of that type of language, more of that kind of mindset into the equation where it's like, oh my God, the internet's fractured. We got to do something. And of course, whenever these people say they're going to, something needs to be done, it means they need more control. Right. I just found that interesting. Is there anything else you know that the CFR is currently working on right now or what they're doing? Well, just, just something because you mentioned it now. Um, you know this whole heat wave stuff that's going around the, the wall like heat waves yeah. are gripping the planet for the first time guess who's behind some of that guess who's deeply involved in that the rockefeller mm -hmm. foundation mm -hmm. <laughs> big surprise there so yeah it's I crazy mean, how that shifted man if you go but like there's people posting um screenshots from weather reports like four years ago and weather reports now and the temperatures are like they're higher than during those the like the screenshots four years ago than they are now and that's not that's not what is important but what's important is the screenshots are the of the weather reports now it's all red and and these like this fearful colors all over it where it was just right. like pictures of the actual countries back then and that's been right, fact checked so, too by the way so, so, seen so, fact checks on that oh really so, did they did they dis, did they disprove it or, or was it was it real no, it was kind of roundabout type of logic thinking and trying to explain exactly what oh. happened. Oh, well, now we need the red coloring, so it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 listen to this. This is actually very interesting. So the Rockefeller Foundation, I think the project is called something like the, the Ashed Rockefeller Foundation. It's, it's a connection. So it's a joint connection. They've actually been involved in this project, I think, for the past two or three years, where they have been lobbying governments and trying to influence them to recognize heat waves in the same way that hurricanes are categorized and stuff. That's where that's actually coming from. And that's they're how they operate. They're actually they're naming heat waves today. now. I don't know. Yeah, if you yeah guys that's, saw that's that. it. Yes, yes. They're so going to be it, naming them and, and categorizing them. Just yes, that and, daily propaganda is to throw in people's brain. Oh my God, now there's uh, Brandon, you know, that the heat wave Brandon. Yeah, I chose that name on purpose, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and I mean, you see, the, the biggest issue in all of this is what has happened with this whole COVID lockdown situation is it's created a new precedent. Yeah. So they're going to use that now. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's how the establishment operates. That, that's how the predator operates. You know, somebody that is basically they violate uh, just human elementary principles. They yeah. just overstep it a little bit. You know, they violate it a little bit. Then, oh, then the next time a little bit more. So now it's created a precedent and they're going to start doing lockdowns for stupid shit. It's going to happen. I mean, right. it was stupid shit in the first place, but it's going to continue. It's a template. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Yeah, well, like the CDC that. recommending masks for monkeypox. Yeah. So check this out. I'm here in South Africa, right? And uh, they had the lot. I mean, the the, uh, the the face mask mandates for over two years. 
Okay, you can be in a public space. People got arrested. Tens of thousands of people got arrested. So now when they finally dropped it, um, then they came with all these power cuts. That's another thing I explore in the publication is that this is just a massive, so, a massive social engineering operation. And, and everything needs to be considered in their context, no, no matter how inexplicable it may seem. In fact, a lot of the methodologies you see being rolled out on a global scale, they actually um, echo methodologies that are employed at places like Guantanamo Bay. And I outline that as well. You know, it's tried and true methods of of social engineering and, in fact, torture. But anyways, over here, people are now uh, wearing face masks. It's a very small percentage, luckily. But there are people that are permanently wearing face masks without there being any mandates because they're so scared. Yeah. They're, they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> oh, there are very man. few of them down here, but like entire swaths of people in uh, Northeast and, you know, and in bluer cities are doing that. You know, yeah, where Jason lives is for sure. California, it's uh, it's a it's the MAGA hat of the left, you know. It's like it's uh, for sure. oh, that's that's yeah. brilliant, man. I like that. Yeah, that's that's brilliant, cousin. Very, very, very good uh, observation. Well, we're kind of heading towards the end part here of the the podcast. This has been brilliant, man. You're such a wealth of information. Um, is there any chance maybe you could share with people like any tips for researching? I mean, they'll probably never catch up to you where you're at, you know, of course, but um, at least maybe just give some people some ammo as to like what you do to really hone in on some, some specific topics or try to like right. dig up some, some specific dirt. Yeah. You know, the, the foundation of that is actually having an understanding some kind of introductory awareness of what truth even means and it seems so simple like what yeah truth i mean we all know what the truth is do we really what 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 is truth like you have to take things and you have to reverse engineer and take it apart and look at it so what is truth most people they don't even understand like what does that mean because for a person in a particular religion it's a concept it's a construct but what what is that what does truth mean truth represents reality that's all it is. It's objective reality beyond our perceptions of reality. And all of us can only grasp so much of reality, just like we can grasp only so much of truth. But the way that you find out about it is you corroborate it with reality. And the way that you do that is not through speculation. That's not to say that uh, reality and truth need us to acknowledge it to exist, because that's obviously not the case. It doesn't need our approval or our acknowledgement. But in order for us to share it and communicate it with other people, we have to find a way to verify and prove it. Otherwise, it's useless. Otherwise, people are going to make fun of you. And that's just how it goes. You can cry about it all day, cry yourself a river, build a bridge, get over it. That's just life, right? So when you focus on saying to yourself, okay, how can I provide something that's absolutely concrete? So for myself, you know, I know that communist Russia um, was empowered and built up by the American establishment, by the Rockefeller family and CFR family. So I'll go with Professor Anthony Sutton. Now his research is, it's unprecedented. It's so meticulously and thoroughly done, but I also then recognize, well, if the average individual goes to Wikipedia, they're gonna read about oh, the criticisms and that's as far as they're gonna go because they, they don't have that same mental endurance to dig deeper or maybe not the time. So then I find somebody else who's an establishment source to do it. And the more overwhelming the evidence to support a particular narrative, um, then, the stronger it's going to be. But in regards to that topic, I'm actually um, going to be doing a number of courses. I'm going to ask people specifically what would they like to learn about. One of the things I want to focus on actually is a course on human identity because that's tied closely into the truth. That's the foundation of everything. If you have a strong identity, you have a strong awareness of the truth, everything else is, is pretty much a breeze. But I might also just do one on specifically like how do you do research, you know? 
Sure. No, I think that's a great idea, man. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, you, you have so much in your head and I, I think it needs to be shared and it needs an outlet so people could uh, constantly being uploading their own and, and try to understand all of it. So I, I think that's a great idea. I know you've been kind of working on that for a while. I'd love to see that come to fruition. Um, and speaking of which, uh, I, I know I'm wearing your, your T-shirt here that you were kind enough. You guys are gangsters, spiritual gangsters. I love it. <laughs> and I know uh, you're wearing the T-shirt that you've also created. And Matt, he That's also right. kind enough to send Mr. one out to Matt. <laughs> I know but, you guys uh, are, are gangsters. I love it. Yeah, man. So um, we'll all definitely link to that below. <laughs> <laughs> and uh in below the sh in the show notes we'll have your your link for your well pretty much all your contact all your social media and your shirts is there anything else that you'd want to plug yeah no like that, that's about it man most of the stuff i'm working on I, i'm trying to like you guys talk about you know getting on like my level of research which thank you so much it's very kind of you to say but i'm also i need to get on the level of productivity that you guys are on because that's actually a lot more influential so that's where I'm at personally. Um, I've had a lot of financial constraints, but I'm not the first researcher or individual that's had that. If you can maybe put a link for my Patreon, that would be fantastic on my subscribe Absolutely. store. Sure, man. But uh, beyond that, I, I just needed to start taking more action. And I'm hoping that the courses will provide myself with some financial stability to focus on this full time and also provide people in turn with a level of enrichment psychologically, um, and equip them with the defenses, which is invariably truth and knowledge, verifiable truth and knowledge against weaponized deception, ignorance, and so on, to provide them with that so we can successfully continue what is invariably the greatest war in human history. Absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's very true. And uh, it's a battle and a war that we've been fighting for a long time, whether the, the pendulum swings back to liberty or tyranny. Yeah. And just to be clear with our audience, you know, Gavin has been around this this world, this scene for years now. Um, he, he's definitely a legend and OG. I remember at one point we well, even thank you, brother. First time we, you, man. Yeah, we teamed up. I, I don't think it was a conscious team up, but I memed one of your quotes and it like went mega viral. I think it was uh, even like Woody Harrelson had shared it. And I mean, it, it, so. Oh, yes. Doing... That's crazy. Yeah, I remember that's crazy. Cause... Yeah, you yeah, but you're the master, brother. That's who you are. You are the meme master. <laughs> People better recognize. <laughs> well, thank you, man. But uh, anyway, you guys could find more of his work at Truth Warrior Gavin or his OG original uh, page and account, which was a new kind of human. Um, he was taken down at the same time we were taken down in 2018 when we lost nearly six million. No, no, fans. You, you know what? You know what's so crazy? Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was taken down maybe like a day or two after you guys, man. And That's I right, actually yeah. published. Yeah, actually published an article where I highlighted specifically. Uh, some of the names that were um, taken down, which included uh, the Free Thought Project and Police the Police. And then shortly after that, they were like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that was enough. Oh, we forgot one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That was that was definitely crazy, though. And yeah, it was Twitter and Facebook at the same time, you know. Um, that is crazy. So, uh, I saw yeah. your post on Instagram, and it's, it's, they definitely coordinated it. Uh, I mean, can you imagine they're having these roundtable meetings and they're talking about Jason and, and Matt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the Atlantic Council. <laughs> yeah, that was one we didn't it really is. get into. And I guess it's probably more of like a, a newer think tank or something, but it feels like they have some overlap with some of the, the ruling class as well. Absolutely. So the, the whole idea, like the Atlantic, 
uh, the Atlantic Council. That's an ideology in itself. They would call mm. it like Atlanticism, which mm. is this idea of this goes like back to Sir Francis Bacon. You know, it, it, it's really old stuff where they had this ideology and this idea that they could create like a new preeminent society. And this would be the Atlantic powers. And it would kind of represent the city of Atlantis kind of a thing. Yeah. I mean, well, it's so much if, for NATO. Yeah, uh, uh, and sorry, NATO was also born in the wake of, of World War II. That's another one, another central uh, government organization. Wow, yeah. so much, yeah, so much to wrap your head around. And uh, again, it's, it's probably crazy. it's probably going to take a couple of listens for people to really like take all this in. But uh, you know, that's what we're here for. That's what we're trying to do, guys. We're trying to you know give you uh, the the ammo, the intellectual ammo to connect the dots and fill in the blanks. So. Um, but yeah, please, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review this podcast. Uh, it's so important. It gets us out there to more and more. And of course, please consider donating and subscribing to the Free Thought Project. Just go to the, the website, www.thefreethoughtproject.com, and you'll see a tab up there for donating or subscribing. Also, we got merch up there. So please, guys, if you can, we need all the support we could get right now. And uh, is there anything else, guys? Yeah, but man, you're so well. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, last thing, just to quickly echo what Jason is saying, guys, no, no leader, no movement could ever do anything without support. We don't have these huge banks to back us up. We don't have these elitist institutions. We're depending on you guys. And although it may seem inconsequential, you know, I want to give a quick shout out to a a buddy of mine. He's become a, a very good friend, started out as a supporter, Lee Darcy, and then also Heath Carter. These two dudes, man, not only psychologically did that give me a boost and, and help me out, but without them, the little bit of work that I can't produce every now and then would be impossible. And, and it's not that they're giving me these massive amounts of money. It's, it's relatively small. I mean, Lee, for example, this dude's a truck driver. He's a working class guy, but he sees the beauty in what I'm doing. So he takes a revolutionary step and he supports that. And that is my point. It's revolutionary to support people who you know to be doing hard, good, genuine work aligned with integrity and humanity. That means by by doing that, it makes you a part of this great war and you help to fight it and you help to amplify what you believe in as opposed to kind of acquiescing and, and just bowing down to the system. So as the expression goes, as cliche and as corny as it is, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And unless we all assume that role, that position, that responsibility, we aren't going to unfortunately win this war. But if we do, it's over. Absolutely. Here, here, man. You're so well-spoken and, and you can, man, Thank it's you, just and well-informed. It's amazing to talk to you, Gavin. Seriously, man. Uh, I, Thanks, I enjoy man. this. That, I enjoy Especially that coming from you, Gavin. Especially coming from you, man. I've got so much respect for both of you. You have no idea. Long before <laughs> Thanks, I, I knew I knew you guys, you know. Well, the feeling, feeling's mutual, man. And uh, yeah, sure. you're, you're doing the, the good work. You know, I, I know we've mentioned that before in the past, but this is the good work, you know, trying to enlighten humanity, trying to give them the information and the tools they need to make better decisions in their life, to see the bigger picture, to understand reality. So Gavin, you're an encyclopedia of historical knowledge. Uh, you're probably one of the most articulate truth tellers on the internet. So thank you very much for joining us today to dissect this very important topic, which I know should help shine a light and our audience will appreciate. So thank you very much, brother. Thank you, my brother. Thank you both, man. Peace.